Welcome back to another episode of Sunday School at Modern Mystic Shop, but this time it's our extra credit episode. And I just love these episodes so much because I get to talk to my friends and I get to share my friends with you guys. And today we're going to be talking to my friend Isabel. And it's so interesting how this happened. So many, many years ago, I started doing these remote group healings and I've actually started to do them again. So if you guys are interested, um, you can definitely head over to modernmysticshop.com and somewhere on there you will be able to find our remote group healings and you can sign up. Actually, it's on our blog page. You can scroll to the bottom and click blog. But a few years ago, I was doing these every week and I built quite a following of people who wanted to do these sessions. And because it's remote and because I just know people's name and email address, I didn't it was hard for me to connect to know who exactly was in the group if I didn't if they weren't my tarot clients or I didn't know them from the shop or whatever. So, flash forward to a couple of years ago, maybe 3 years ago, I show up at Rama you in uh, in LA to do work with the yoga community there and I, I still participate in that community. And after a couple of years, I become friends with this person named Isabel. And uh, we actually, I actually find her to be very fascinating. She's very beautiful and very powerful and highly intelligent. And I was always just into her, you know, she was always had something really uh, nice and cool and thought provoking to share. So then let's fast forward to a couple of weeks ago. I started doing these new moon, full moon sessions and I noticed that Isabel signed up and I was like, oh, that's nice. You know, this is her first time. I hope that she really enjoys it. And afterwards, she sent me a message and she said, I'm so glad you're doing these again. I was the Isabel. I was the person that was doing these with you years ago before we met in person. So here I was in Atlanta. Here she was in L.A., never met in real life, then met in real life. And I never put the connection together. And she never mentioned it. We were friends for all these years. And so it all has come full circle. But today we have a really fascinating conversation. And Isabel is not from the United States originally. She's from Brazil. And I think that's so neat to talk to people that are from different countries and to learn about the spiritual landscape and religious climate of when they grew up. And she's got some crazy stories for you guys, specifically relating to her parents and some of their really incredible and supernatural experiences. She is so special, you guys. You're going to be so drawn in. You can't help but to be almost hypnotized by by her presence. And I just hope you guys are enjoying the series. It's been so much fun for me to connect with these people that I know in one way, but to connect with them in this format has been just so enriching for me. So thank you for giving us this platform to share. And I hope that you enjoy this beautiful and exciting and uplifting conversation with my friend Isabel Barreto. Um, just for people that are listening, uh, Isabel and I do know each other. So all the people that we're, I've been interviewing, I've actually have a relationship with. And it's because I know really cool people that I'm curious about. And, you know, you get to one level of knowing somebody, but sometimes you have these questions that you don't get to ask or they don't come up. So I'm excited. And you're a Scorpio, so you might be my toughest interview yet. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> They're like, don't don't pick Don't poke at that spot. That's one Scorpio trait that I didn't 
that I didn't get, I don't think, is a deflector. I love, I I like getting deep into it, so. Okay, good, good, good. So I want to start, like I always do, at the very, very beginning. If you wouldn't mind just telling me a little bit about just like mom and dad and what was going on and where you were when you were born, um, and then we'll take it from there. So what was, what was that process like, just like zero to two and a little bit about your parents and what they were up to? Okay, great. So I grew up in, I was born in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And uh, both my parents are educators, they're professors, um, university professors, as well as uh, my dad is a jiu-jitsu master. So he had, uh, you know, a gym that he he ran and taught out of. and, um, And my mom taught university four days a week. So they were... They were busy, busy people. So I was the third kid in my family that was born. And, you know, being born in a, the culture, Brazilian culture, is predominantly, you know, religiously speaking, is a Catholic culture. But because yeah. of the African influence, there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's very diverse in terms of uh, spiritual practices and different beliefs. Um, and just spirituality in general is very rooted yeah. in the people, in the culture, in the, you know, obviously Brazil is a huge country. Um, so yeah. any part that you go, you receive a, little, a different kind of vibe. But in Rio, um, there was a lot of, um, you know, uh, I was born into a family that was very uh, open-minded, open-hearted. Um, my mom is a psychologist, so... Wow. She was very much into uh, what we call now spiritual psychology, but back then that didn't exist. So she was into the, um, you know, Freud and Jung and um, any anything that was, you know, um, ex- excavating um, yeah. the, the truth, really. Um, she was really into that. So uh, I was born into... And my dad was kind of... Um, he wasn't really religious. He he was very um, he was so into what he did, you know, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and teaching and um, very grounded um, and very you know just kind of focused and very intuitive person um, and very charismatic. He has a big big aura and I think very much because of his of his practice and just a naturally wise kind of shaman. Uh, type yeah. of person and my mom also very intuitive uh, but always really interested in um, always very connected to her intuition um, my mom had two near-death experiences and my dad had one when he was growing up he was very sickly what? yeah he was very um, so when he was he was the ninth kid in his family and I think that he he had some sickness that he doesn't know what it is till today. Uh. He just he had operations and he had um, he he was just very frail and and kind of sickly as a child. And I remember there was a story that he told that um, he he said he was probably about two or three, and he remembers being in this room and he was resting. 
and he was looking at the saint, you know, Brazil being very Catholic culture, saints everywhere and all kinds of things. And everybody's you know, a lot of faith and a lot of prayers. And, um, and he said he saw the saint figure wink at him. Oh, whoa. And he just kind of was like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but he never really, you know, like in talking to him, I don't, I would have to ask him again, but in talking to him, you know, he never really expanded on that, but he let, right. you know, he led a very uh, blessed life after that and, you know, still, still kicking and doing amazing. Um, yeah. and then my mom had a car accident when she was 20, 21. It was her birthday. Uh, they were in the car. Her parents were following her. She was by herself in the car. And something happened, blah, 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 blah. And the car turned and flipped upside down, ejected her out of the car, but then landed on her hips. The car did. The car did. Yeah. Wow. And she said that um, she saw the movie. You know, everybody, everybody oh, who has yeah. a near-death experience uh, has this similar story of you see a whole movie uh, flash before your eyes of your life. And she said she was able to slow down the movie. And she said, no, 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 no. I'm not ready to go. I'm, there's so much that I have to do here. I'm not ready. Yeah. And she started seeing the white light. She started seeing uh, the white light and she was like, no, yeah. no, no, no. You know, like I, I can't, I have, I have so much still to do here. And right in just a split second, the white light turned from being the white light <laughs> that we hear about yeah. to yeah. the white light in between the car and the asphalt. Oh, uh, wow. And then she started feeling the physical pain of the car being on top of her. Yeah. What came after that was her mom, my grandma, my grandmother, in a panic, in a, you know, in that situation. Can you imagine? You're following your daughter yeah. and then she's, you know. You watch it. You watch the whole accident happen. I mean, what do you do? You go and remove the obstacle, right? So that's literally right. what she did. She went, she picked up the car. God. Literally. And my grandmother was not, she was not tall <laughs> and like, you know, Amazon woman. Like, you know, like you. You would think she was short, you know, five, five, four or something like that, you know. And she goes and she lifts up the car for her, for my mom to get out. And my mom oh was my able gosh. to get out. And they both recovered in the hospital together. And my grandmother, you know, tore all the ligaments here. And oh, here from, from lifting. From lifting the car off my mom it sounds i mean oh it sounds gosh. like a movie it sounds unbelievable even to me you hear those stories though when like mom's like yeah to get that rush of adrenaline and holy shit yeah so this is the lineage you come from yes, yes. car lifters <laughs> car lifters near-death ex yes. experiences you know near-death experiences and spirit and the the notion that we have a purpose and was very much my uh growing up it was very much yeah. in in the air in the you know in the scenario 
Um, and then my mother, when she had her first son, my older brother, she she had an out of, I think that was an out of body experience. I don't think she had a near, another near death experience. She had an out of body experience where she was getting a C-section. Oh no, she didn't get a C-section. She was having the, it was like right after she delivered the baby, she could see herself on top of, you know, yeah. kind of looking down upon herself and upon her situation and all of that. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so all of that was very, very strong. My grandmother was a devout, um, uh, churchgoer, you know, yeah. and she would go to church. I would go to church with her a lot cause I spent a lot of time with her when my parents were working yeah. and you know, churches in Brazil are those big, beautiful cathedral like, you know, um, places and in this one in particular in the perimeter of the church there were all these it was basically time markers of Jesus's life and uh like from you know him from Mary and Joseph and then him being born and then kind of all the way to the crucifixion all the way around like shaping like a U were these uh -huh. beautiful um statues but very lifelike um, statues. And I remember I would just go around and kind of just observe and look and, you know, look at how real they looked and just kind of ponder that. Um, but when I got into, I guess my daughter's age, when I was about uh, six or seven, I really had just kind of a, because I went to a Catholic school as well. So um, I had very early on discerned that I didn't like anything about religion that felt uh, restrictive and that felt uh, forced. So yeah. any of those energies, I was very tuned in with what I wasn't into. Yes. Yeah. You know, from a young age. And, um, my mom, you know, you have the first communion that comes up, um, it's a very cultural thing and, you know, all the good girls do it and <laughs> all that stuff. They look like little brides. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Um, and I told her, you know, I'm not doing it. And she, <laughs> you know, she came to me and she was like, you know, we have to start talking about this and, you know. And I just thought it was so bizarre, the whole thing. And no matter how it was explained to me, I was just like, no, 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 no. Like every fiber of my body and being were like, no, that's weird. Why would I do that? You know? Well, and especially with Catholicism, because it's like they because I grew up Catholic and you have to wrap your head around like they take it very literally like it is the body and blood of Christ. It's I mean, in because in, I've been to also since I've been in Georgia, a lot of Protestant services and to them, it's more symbolic, you know, but like in Catholicism, they're like, nope. This is this is the real thing. And as a little kid, I guess you do. I don't remember having an issue with it necessarily, but you got to wrap your head around that, I guess. Yeah. And, I, you know, in Brazil, it's not they, they try to normalize it as much as possible because it's so ingrained in the culture. Um, but I just, you know, I, I was that kid that was like, so you're telling me that because I'm going to have the little bread 
that's flat. And I always <laughs> wanted to try it. I always wanted to try it, you know, like, because you can't, it's like that thing. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, that, I just don't get that part. And I'm not, I'm not ready to, it, it felt to me like an initiation of sorts, but I wasn't old enough to know the details of it. So I could be well informed enough to, to do it. I didn't have all the information to make the decision. And even though I was a child, I knew that. And I knew yeah. that for me to make any decision that felt that big, I had to know more or I had to be more, yeah. you know. So did you, did you wind up doing it? No. Okay. My parents were very Aquarian parents. They were very, um, I think my mom being a psychologist and my, my dad having the, the martial arts background is just very wise person, period. They always uh, listened to us and they, they really like took, you know, they took it seriously if we expressed something that was not yeah. cool. You know what I mean? So um, when I was 10, we moved to the United States. So, um, you know, that that kind of saved me a little bit because I was like, oh, we're moving anyway. <laughs> but my, <laughs> mom, my mom was cool with it. She, she was very, um, she, she, and that's something I really appreciated about her with all of this. She's always given us freedom to pursue whatever interests. I mean, she's an intellectual herself. So she's, yeah. that's the way she views it. Like whatever you need to gain more information on to make certain decisions, fantastic, you know? Yeah. Sorry, was she a practicing therapist or was she teaching psychology in college or both? Both. So she had okay. her own practice for a while. And her thing was not so much uh, to help. She, she did um, psychotherapy for a while with clients, but that wasn't her thing. Her thing was research. That's where, her, mm, where she like lit up, you know. So that's what she did. And eventually she, you know, after we moved to the United States, she became a genealogist by, by her own accord mm. before ancestry, years, like 10, 15 years before ancestry ever was even a thing. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so were you sort of trained through osmosis to be able to, because it sounds like you were able to have these conversations pretty mature and open conversations with your parents. Was that just in the culture of your family? It was in the culture of, uh, of my family. And then when my parents got divorced, they, they split up when I was seven. Mm. And in that, in the three years before we moved to the United States, when I was 10, there was a lot of, um, a lot of conversations, a lot of, you know, um, I guess back then they didn't call it anything, but you know, they were trying to do the conscious uncoupling thing. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. And, and not with that vibe, but you know, um, but just, it's always been really important in my family to talk about stuff and to, to process. So mm -hmm. that was our therapy, you know, was to talk right. to each other to, um, you know, just to kind of process in that way. Um, so that, that always gave us a little, an opening to, you know, to, to feel how we felt and to, to explore that and to talk about things. I mean, it's still, it was still the, the seventies and eighties. So, right, right. But, but yeah, there was a lot of openings to, to talk about stuff. So when you were a kid, if you weren't really into Catholicism, um, 
was spirituality just sort of like not really focused on for in your kid mind? Because of sure, like if you're not forced to necessarily have a spiritual practice or anything like that, or were you curious about other things? And I'm going to ask two questions. And my second question is also like, this is just me not knowing about Brazil um, in particular, but I know in a lot of Catholic um, countries outside of the U.S., there's a lot of occult um, witchy practices where they actually use the saints and all of that stuff. So I'm kind of curious two things is like, what is the, the counterculture in Brazil? And then also like, were you exposed to that or what your life of spirituality looked like since you weren't into the Catholicism? Uh, 100%. So this is where, uh, I was going to bring that up anyway, but it's, um, this is where, um, the the afro kind of influence comes in mm. uh into brazil and uh my mom was always like i said open to different practices different things and it was very common in brazil at that time to have uh helpers you know to have somebody who cleaned the house who helps cooked who helped uh iron the clothes and so we had people that worked with us and our family for many years and they were part of our family and these women, there are three women in particular, but one of them in particular who shares my name, Isabel, and is a Scorpio uh. too. Uh, <laughs> I always felt very drawn to her and she took care of me when I was a baby. She was, you know, she was literally part of our family. And, um, she was my first experience of what went on, like in the not, you know, uh, Catholic <laughs> scenario, oh. you know. So she practiced a religion called uh, Umbanda and Candomblé, which is the Yoruba religion, mm. rooted in the Yoruba religion. So they they follow and worship the Orishas. Uh, so like Yemanja, Oshun, Oshala, yeah. Oshasi, all of those. Um, and I always was drawn to that because uh, they had um, they related to elemental forces they related to certain strengths certain characteristics kind of like you know astrology does um, yeah. in, in the same kind of way it's totally different but in the same kind of way um, and it was kind of just I just observed those practices and my mom being so interested in many other religion religions and practices and all these things had a lot of books of rituals and all kinds of, uh, you know, different practices in Brazil. So we had a, a hallway that had a lot of different books. So I would kind of just explore a lot of those books like, wow, crazy. You know, these people are doing like the sacrifice on this chicken and like all this crazy <laughs> thing. So that kind of stuff as a child, I was a little bit turned off by that. Cause it was like, Oh, sure. that's weird. <laughs> um, but I always had a, uh, an interest. And I remember talking to Isabel, um, and she would tell me, you know, certain things like, and I would ask questions like, well, can you see spirits? You know, can you see different entities? Can you, um, I would always like to know what was on the other side of the <laughs> ritual, you know? And, um, because they talked a lot about like, you know, a person receiving a spirit and, you know, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And I would just ask a lot of questions. 
Um, but I never, you know, I never was so interested that I wanted to like yeah. become a part of it or anything like that. Um, it was just so fascinating to me to hear the stories, you know, and she right. would tell me things like, you know, um, if you sleep on your back, like sometimes you can like, don't sleep on your back because sometimes the spirit can get you or something like that or, you know like those old little like you yeah. know like old school like tales you know that will scare kids <laughs> well it's like sleep paralysis like that that's probably something to do with that because some people think that is like a spirit possession you know they have nightmares if they do so mm. there's something there's something there's right. something there you know like always follow those the elders <laughs> uh <laughs> even if it sounds weird yeah. um so anyway so um you know, what that looked like was, you know, I would, you know, parents would be at work or whatever. I would get home from school. I walked to school. My children, my, my mom raised us very like independently, even though I was like eight or nine, I would walk by myself to school and walk back busy city, you know, and I would get there. And a lot of times Isabel would be there like ironing the clothes and helping out and cleaning or whatever. I would sit with her and just talk. And it was some of my most favorite childhood memories was learning about the different practices and the different rituals and the different things that that she and her community would do and um what was your other question i'm trying to remember oh well you answered them both at the same time because i was asking you know so if you weren't you know following the catholic tradition and then sort of you're in this other counterculture if that how that merged for you if at all so then I, you know, I, I would start and I remember as a child, I would have, uh, my mom taught us how to pray and, mm-hmm. and the way she taught us how to pray was to first imagine everything in this life, like basically become mindful of everything that you are, everything that it surrounds us, the earth, the animals, our friends, our family, all of those things and be grateful and be thankful and say thank you and um every night before i went to sleep and i had this little um it was like a little um artwork piece of artwork that has a written prayer and i actually just hung it up in my daughter's room yesterday and um so we were definitely raised to be very mindful of you know this lifetime and the space we occupy in this lifetime and and gratitude and you know that that it's a privilege to to be alive and um yeah and then in my teens I got a little bit more that's when I started really getting into and all my mom kind of my mom and her aunt um would gift me some books uh astrology you know Mm. um my first like self-help book that I read as a teenager was um, by Wayne Dyer. So all of that started me on a path of reaffirming what I already knew. Cause you already know, you know, we're, we're born with this. We already know. So we just have to pull it back out. You know, it's like, it's an exercise of just pulling that wisdom back out and remembering, you know, um, how it kind of all works, yeah. you know? Do you think that, um, you might not know this because you weren't born yet, but I'm curious if you think that the gratitude prayer 
method that your mom taught you um, emerged maybe because of that near-death experience and like really when you when life's about to slip away, maybe then you realize like how full and how grateful you are to be here? Or do you think that that was part of your mom's nature all along? Um, and that that became her form of a form of prayer? I think both. I think it's, you know, it's hard to say because when she had those near-death experiences, it was so long before I was born. I was her third kid. Yeah. She was 37 when she had me, which, you know, back then I was born in, in the late 70s. You know, it's kind of... Um, later to have you know a kid and she yeah. I, I think all of that just became part of who she was you know and yeah. her um in her studies and her experience in life and all of you know all of the work that she had done up to that point led her to to that you know to to teach us to to pray to that that yeah. prayer was something and it yeah. wasn't like it was very energetic it was not like yeah. you know there's this energy upstairs there's this man you know like yeah even though you know when you're a kid in brazil they do say like you know the dad that's upstairs and all that kind, that kind of language so you do grow up with this kind of image but she always taught it to us in um, in the context of uh, nature. She taught us a lot about mm. nature, which I think is one of the best ways to remind children uh, yeah. of what's important in life and teach them yeah. spirituality. I mean, yeah, they're already it. So, yeah, and the vastness. I mean, the vastness of nature is pretty incredible for those humbling moments, you know? Um, you know, life yeah. cycle and death and rebirth and struggle mm. and all of those things. I mean, all our values, and I deeply believe this, all our values and uh, everything we can teach our kids it is right there in nature in plain sight. You know, we yeah. just have to look a little, a little deeper. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so in your teen years, you started to explore. First of all, did your dad come with you to the states, or was he he stayed in Brazil? Uh, my mom came. The original plan was to come just for a couple years, so she was going to get her master's in um, mm. international studies at the G George Washington University. Okay, so you were in D.C. Is that where that? So we went to D.C. and she also was dating um, her high school best friend who happened to live in D.C. And so it was kind of like a multi-purpose uh, trip, you know, to be with him. Um, we had known him. He had come to Brazil, you know, many times to visit in the three years that uh, my parents were split. And, you know, the idea was to, hey, let's move to the United States. Let's. I'm going to give my kids this awesome experience of learning English and being, you know, having to kind of figure things out in a different country. And, and we did. And within a couple of years, so much changed that we, she was, her job offered her a green card, which was like, uh. wow, amazing. So we, uh. she went for it and we've been here ever since. So how was that transition for you? Um, assimilating into a different, I mean, did you speak English at all before you came or? Um, I didn't. 
No. I took, wow. you know, I took English in Brazil, um, but you learn things like, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Where's the bathroom? <laughs> things that will get you just so far. Um, and it was, it was wild. It was uh, surreal. It was exciting. I, I'm a person who loves new beginnings and loves rebirth and loves newness, you know? Um, and... It was very exciting for me. I was 10 years old and it was awesome. Um, and we learned English. It was, we have hilarious stories about that. Um, <laughs> but I think in, in, in that there was many things that started to happen in the first three years, let's say, because I went from 10 to 13. That's a big, that, yeah. in that three years, a lot happens, right? In a teenage. That's a hard time. I mean, for for me, that was a hard time as a teenage girl, like that preteen. Yeah. So, you know, I went from, I mean, there's so many stories that I could tell, but in, in this context of spirituality and like, you know, uh, coming of age or, you know, getting to know yourself, yeah. I really discovered that... I had, I was, I started to kind of uh, take on a new way of being because I was learning a new language. I was assimilating all the ways in which this culture was completely different. You know, we not, yeah. we didn't move from like Rio de Janeiro to like LA, Malibu beach area, you know, we moved right. from Rio de Janeiro to like, Northern Virginia, which was like yeah. totally like, you know, different, mm -hmm. completely different, yeah. you know, suburbs, but different suburbs than I had ever seen before, you know, and, um, little houses all the same, like very, very interesting. And, um, so I started to figure out that when I would go to visit my dad in Brazil, I was no longer... Brazilian because I didn't know how to, you know, I was like my poor, I started forgetting Portuguese for a little bit. And then when I would come here, there was a lot of like slurs, you know, uh, by kids like, Hey, you know, no speak English, yeah. move out of the way. You know, like a lot of like kids are just like cruel, make fun of each other, all that kind of stuff. Um, no, no serious bullying, but, you know, some comments that are like, all right, you know. And then it was the first time that I also noticed racism because in Brazil, I'm considered white, you know. But here, um, I was not, you know. Everyone was fascinated. Like, oh, are you from Hawaii? Are you, you know, oh, like you're so tan, you know, always commenting on like the way I looked and all this stuff. And so it was the first time, like a lot of things started coming to fruition, you know, and I noticed very quickly that trying to define myself through other people's, uh, optic through other people's mm -hmm. viewpoints was not going to be for me. Right. So it was, I had better get my, you know, you know, shit together to like, to, to figure out who I was. And I mean, when you're, when you're a kid like that, it's, it's a big job that you put on yourself, you know? Yeah. And you get slapped with an identity. Like you get slapped with these different identities or projections 
just because you're different from other folks, right? So even just like the the label of like just not being from here, being from anywhere else, do you know? Um, so you've got to navigate some of those, those um, yeah, challenges. That's interesting. Um, and were your, and you have two older brothers or just one and a sister? Two? And for brother, he was so much older that he stayed. He was 23 oh, gotcha. when he moved here. So he already, he, he was a musician. He had like an awesome career. He was doing awesome. So he stayed behind. And my mom and my other brother, who was 13 at the time, moved here. Mm. Did you guys buddy up, you and your brother? or 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. You have an ally. Yes. We're very close to, to this day. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So, so let's get into more about, okay, so you were, you were having these astrology books, you had these amazing experiences of both polarities of the religious spectrum, I guess you would say, in your, in the country in which you were born. What, did you, did you have like a turning point where, because I find you to be a very disciplined spiritual practitioner. So when did that sort of kick in? And like, I don't know if there was like a moment or a modality or a person that kind of sparked whatever Isabel's like version of spirituality looks like? Yeah, I think when, you know, when I went into my teen years, I had this knowledge that if I could visualize it in my mind, because I've always been a feeler, seer, you know, but I didn't know what that was called. And I still, even up till recently, actually, I started realizing certain things certain things that are natural to me that are maybe are not that maybe are supernatural or maybe mm-hmm. not everybody has. So yeah. um, I think that kind of self discovery is ongoing, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so when I was about 13, I started, um, I went to the library at whatever school I was at uh, middle school. And I started looking at books all about visualization and I was always interested in reading books about uh, paranormality uh, or, you know, um, but not so much if it went into a certain um, energy that was too far fetched, it didn't interest me. It had to be ap- applicable to life and it had to be applicable to uh, and be malleable here on earth because that's what that's what interests me um so i started reading about visualization i started reading about how some athletes would uh utilize that and um you know little by little i just started finding my what i needed to find you know you know how that happens you just start finding exactly what you need to find to go further and further and further And so from 13 till about 15, 16, I went deeper into this, um, um, this kind of study of myself. And, um, when I was about 19, 18, 19, um, my aunt gave me this book, uh, by Dr. Wayne Dyer. So that was more about visualization, but just further into the theory that if you really had it in your 
aura, if you really added it into your mind's eye, you could experience it in the flesh. So I started practicing. I started practicing with this. And each time I would get more and more agile with it. Each time I would get more, you know, and not really knowing, not really feeling like I knew what I was doing. Uh -huh. But when I tried, you know, whether it was like getting a job or doing, you know, any like practical thing, you know, um, dating, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever it was, um, it would serve me. Yeah. I would get the thing. I would, I would, and I started noticing that I started developing the system, my own system to then experience whatever that thing was. And then I just went deeper into reading a little bit more about uh, Wayne Dyer. And then in those books, I was introduced to yoga because he talks mm. a lot about yoga and meditation and all of these things. And through that, I found Kundalini Yoga. And mm. this is how I found Kundalini Yoga. I, yeah. I looked up an, at the library a list of all... I wanted to know all the yogas there was. I wanted to know all the information so then I could make my choice, right? That's like my yeah, yeah. I want to know all of it so then I can pick and choose. So I got it. It was there. You know, Ashtanga, whatever, Hatha, like all these kinds. And then my eye went to... Yoga of awareness. Before I read Kundalini Yoga, it was like yoga of awareness. And I go, that's it. Mm. That's it. And I went on this really quick trip on like, if you have awareness, you have everything. And then you can just mm. poof, you know. Because if you have awareness within, if you have awareness without, and if you have the ability to then go from in and out, yeah, then you're you're set. Like, this is what life's about. That's the, the, right. the, the moment that I had. Right. So I said, okay, I'm going to find this Kundalini yoga. I have no idea if like who teaches it, if they have it in my area, whatever it is. So I went, where were you living at that time? Were you still in DC? In Virginia. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I went down to my dial up internet and I was like looking up like, yeah. yeah. So I looked it up and I found Grimuk. Grimuk was teaching here in LA. And I was like, wow, that's too far, you know. Um, but she had a, she had like a video VHS coming out soon. And I was like, I'm all about that. You know, I was like, whatever, you know, keep me posted. I don't even know how, I don't even remember how you did things back then. But She probably mailed you a newsletter. <laughs> and then exactly I got like on her mailing list of the newsletter and then I was able to then eventually buy the VHS when it came out <laughs> and that was my first experience practicing and it changed everything because oh. it brought all the theories and experiences that I had it brought the physical experience of all of that and it took away anxiety and fears and, you know, all these things. I was at the time working as a, I did events for a very long time. And uh, right out of high school, I started working. And um, 
I had a lot of, you know, um, just a lot of stress and a lot of boom, 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 boom. Like I was working like nonstop and I would put everything into my work. And I started noticing, you know, people didn't talk about anxiety back then, but I started noticing I, I at nighttime I would have these like, like I couldn't sleep. And I was like, what the heck? And I knew that it was some, it was related to the stress from my, from my job. And I just got so like, um, almost like angry, like, mm. no way. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to let, I'm not going to let my job, like not allow me to sleep. Like what? <laughs> it was like, what in the world? So then the more I practiced the yoga, the more I practiced with the video, the more I felt more like myself and more relaxed and more, um, in tuned with what next step I should take in life and all of those things. So that was kind of, you know, um, that was kind of the, the, how I got into, um, Kundalini yoga. And then, um, can I ask you a question before you move on? Do you happen to remember what the Kriya was or meditation in that VHS that you wore out? Um, I don't remember what, um, exactly. Maybe it was yoga for the 10 bodies. Hmm. I'm just curious because now you can, you can go on like anywhere and get like every single Kriya. But back then, you know, and you don't have teachers nearby. You just do the same. If you have one video, you do that same practice every day. It's a sadhana. It was awesome because it was, um, it was my sadhana, you know? Yeah, right. And, um, yeah, and then I, I, I eventually found a teacher there uh, in a very odd way. I was coming out of, like, a community college class, and there was this big board in front of me, and it just said yoga schedule. And it was right there in front of me. It was the only thing on the board. And I was like, hey, I've been, I've been trying to find a yoga class around here. And I got it and I opened it up and it said Kundalini Yoga. Kundalini Yoga. So I started going to, to that class and uh, eventually got my teacher uh, level one with, uh, with that teacher, which was... That's incredible. Yeah, it was a, a really cool thing. And yeah, and so it continues, you know, and... Right. I want to ask you about prayer again, because as you were talking, I remembered that you've prayed for me before and I can, I can feel your prayer and there's not, you know, everyone's like, oh, I'll pray for you. You know what I mean? And sometimes there's not like that feeling, but there are a few people in my life. My father-in-law is one of them. He's a um, Nazarene preacher and we have a different understanding of God, but his prayers fucking work. And I feel like you have that gift, like your prayer worked for me. Um, so I'm curious, you know, you discussed prayer and how your mom taught you to pray back then. How does that enter your life now? Hmm. That is, I mean, prayer is such a, it's funny because it's a very deep part of my practice, but it's one of the most, um, it's one of the most rewarding. It's one of the most heart opening. It's one of the most, um, uh, most beautiful practices that I, that I have tuned into, you know, because you go into that space of complete 
openness and mm-hmm. but also one pointedness because you do have a you are um affecting the tide if you know what i mean mm-hmm. you, you are yeah. you're changing the tide so that's how i look at it i feel like when i'm praying i'm sending a force like a big wave to that person or to the people you know my kids i pray um every night when when i go say good night i just you know um pray over them and i just kind of do my thing in my mind and it literally is like this blanket or wave that goes through and and reaches the the destination and it's fun there's a part of me that thinks it's fun because it's like playing you know it's like playing with the goodness of your soul you know and sharing it you know yeah you know so so it's because it 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 brings me joy. And I really don't like to say like, I'll pray for you because there's such negative connotation in this culture yeah. about, especially in the South, yeah. <laughs> almost yeah. like a, almost like a condescending, you know, or no, it didn't land that way to me. I don't remember even how I might've even asked you, I might've even asked you to pray for me. And, and, and I didn't, <laughs> I only say, you know, that to, to people that, you know, obviously we, we know each other in a very, um, um, close sphere and in spiritual of mm-hmm. nature. So, um, but yeah, I, uh, it's one of my favorite, uh, things to do. And I really do feel that it's, that's effective, you know? Yeah. I would say that's true. I was curious how you did it. Cause like nowadays my prayer, I, is a little bit different than it had been, but then it kind of goes back to the Catholic part of me. Like when you pray the rosary, now I do mantra recitations with my mala. It's not so different actually, but the difference is I'm like you, I'm like feeling the energy and I'm like pushing. It's like a projection. A prayer is kind of like a projection um, for me. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I think it's, 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 um, it's, there's a, a projection uh, nature, I think when you have that goal in mind, is what I was saying. Uh-huh. And, um, and I don't know, I, th- to me, that's less prayer than visualization. Uh-huh. To me, there's uh-huh. a difference between the two. There's a, you know, I'm going to get that house <laughs> type of, or I'm going to get that goal, you know? Uh-huh it's still projection and you're still putting energy into it and you're still visualizing, you're still, you know, there's, it's, it's a form of prayer, I guess, but Mm. I think a prayer for someone or to protect someone or to, it's more of that like big wave of blessing with the whole, you know, um, with your whole self into it, you know? Yeah. It feels like a, a, I know what you mean. Like when I, so I do like my um, akamai's for my husband and I do, I, I do imagine it like that. I guess what I mean by a projector is like I'm pushing out, like it's like a pushing out in an envelopment. Um, yeah, that's super cool. So you, so now, so you're a yoga teacher and at least your Instagram handle is meditations for mamas. I'm not sure how you've been like rebranding yourself in other areas. So I'm curious, um, how you met that sort of dharma in your life and also 
as part of that training, working with mamas also to, I don't know, teach kids? Like now you're a mom, right? And you're going to be passing on teaching. So I'm curious about those two things. How, yeah. Um, so I had a very uh, healing experience when I was pregnant with my daughter. It wasn't only healing, but it was in so many different aspects of my psyche and myself. And, um, but it was also a psychic pregnancy. And I'm just, I mean, I have, it's taken me a while to unpack some of those things. Cause what I was saying earlier, like when it's your experience, you don't really think it's supernatural or different mm. or, you know, so it yeah. took me a while to, to realize that what I experienced was a psychic, uh, pregnancy. I was, uh, very sensitive in ways that I had never been before. So in, in terms of communicating with the soul that was coming through as well as when I, when she was in the womb and beyond. Um, so what that did for me is after she was born, just going through the experience of motherhood, it really, um, it just really brought forth a new level of awareness uh-huh. that motherhood is the perfect opportunity to deconstruct our own healing to deconstruct the mm-hmm. inner patriarchy to deconstruct the uh, the the old ways in which society has been created thus far. Yeah. So all of the negative things, all of the ways in which you know people and women, especially, are not valued or mistreated or um, any of those things. I started getting the answer that that's because we are the ones who are raising this world. So we are the ones responsible for everything that's going on in this sphere. We have raised the women that are in this sphere. We are intentionally, consciously, or not consciously creating it. Yeah. So... My, um, my calling has been really to, to remind women that they are the expert, that they are the leader, that they are the mother, that they are the ma, that they have that energy, that they have that ability. And, you know, as you know, it's not a cognitive thing. You have there. There's so much dethawing. There's so much deconstruction that needs to happen, and it has to be from the inside out. Uh. So my project right now is uh, my website that I'm going to have uh, videos on there to help uh, with that process and help uh, women and men to awaken that. Um, that leadership within them and that sense of responsibility, because I I think parenting, we have become so desensitized to, uh, I mean, if you just look at the birth world, we've become so desensitized to how a being is conceived, uh, carried 
and born, and we've become so desensitized to the postpartum uh, opportunity that is the postpartum period in in that relationship. Um, we're starting to, you know, as in many areas, we're starting to wake up in, in many different areas. But in parenting, that's the other thing I started to notice. There was a lot of things about pregnancy a lot of support, a lot of prenatal support, and, and then starting with the postpartum. But then when the child started crawling and saying no, and like getting into the toddler years, that's when everybody was like, eh, we don't have a group for that. <laughs> we, no, uh, crawlers only, you know what I mean? So I created this, um, I created this group out the back of my house, uh, back when we lived in, uh, at our other house in Cobra City. And I would just say, come, bring whatever age, doesn't matter, just bring everybody. And I would practice, I would teach them a very practical, pragmatic practice and, and, um, and meditation. And I would utilize the, the disruption in the room as medicine. Hmm. Right. I would use the disruption. I would use the noise as the, I mean, that's the perfect place to be. Right. And I would just remind them that it was not, we were not wanting to be anywhere else. We were there and we wanted to be there and we wanted to make mm -hmm. the, the best of it. And to just allow those disruptions as part of the experience and that would strengthen the nervous system, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's I, would true. I would have moms come and like, Oh my, you know, are you sure? Cause my kid is just so, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be able to, you know, and she had in her mind that it was like supposed to be this like super quiet, like nobody can talk like this whole experience. So right. I just said, your kid is great. You're great. Just come have the experience. Let's just do it. And, you know, and then I would work with that. I would work uh -huh. with that, with that scenario. And so now I want to bring that online and I want to, mm. that's what I'm, what I'm building to, to work um, while raising my own kids. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I just have a, like maybe one and maybe two closing questions. So do you, because obviously I'm like modern mystic, right? That's our whole spiel. So I'm curious if you identify as sort of, it's okay if you don't, but like a modern mystic. And if so, what does that mean to you? Like what, how does someone carry like this modern mysticism with them as like a householder, like you say, within the Kundalini world? Yeah, for, for me, the... I absolutely do identify myself as a as a modern mystic, but not in the way that most people would think, you know, because I am hmm. I have a very grounded way? I have a very grounded energy mm -hmm. and what what is interesting to me is to marry the mysticism to the life, to the yeah, you know agreed. to the 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 moment and to uh, the relationship or whatever it is that's going on, you know? Uh, so what it looks like for me is, you know, if I'm teaching my, if I'm wanting to teach my child about discipline, 
Uh, I'm not necessarily going to sit with the child and teach them a meditation or force them to do a meditation. I'm going to teach them to make their bed every day. Uh And when I taught my daughter how to make her bed every day, I had her, you know, go out of the room and her bed was messy and I messed it up even more. And I said, okay, walk into the room. (laughs) I said, okay, walk into the room and see how you feel. You got that feeling? Okay, okay. Walk out of the room. She'd walk out. And then, oh, after she made her bed, so she'd made her bed. Because she asked me, why do I have to make my bed, you know? So she made it. I taught her ball. And I said, walk out of the room. And then walk back in. And I said, what do you feel? She said, I feel better. Because the the room looks nice. And it, it my mm. energy feels different. So that's my style of teaching is pragmatic. It, it, it's mysticism in the pragmatic, in the day-to-day, mm-hmm. in the moment-to-moment, you know. And, yeah, you know, they don't even realize it, but even little things, you know. I give them life lessons in the mundane. Yeah. And that's integration. That's what we try to teach a lot, too. It's like you know, to be, to integrate your spiritual side with your human existence is where it's at. That's where the contentment comes from, you know, and that's where you're actually present to the challenges of why you probably came here in a human body, right? So I think we're aligned with that. Well, yeah. I was just going to say, and those are things that I'm teaching them as already as if it's a normal thing, you know, because that's what I believe, you know. And have experienced. So yeah, so I, I like to teach them in that way because integration is is where it's at. It's where you yeah. you know you can flip the the energy of the thing, whether it's within yourself or whether it's within your environment or you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's command. That's like command over yourself and what's around you. Well, thank you for chatting. I would love for you to share like how do our listeners find you? What would where should they follow you or visit or yeah, you can follow me on at meditation for mamas on Instagram. And if you have any questions, you okay. can DM me. I do. Um, I'm teaching uh, once a week starting next week on live uh, on my Instagram live on Thursday evenings. Nice. And, um, and I also do empowerment coaching uh, for those who for practitioners, for people who are uh, interested in taking on a daily practice. I help with their sadhana strategy and kind of go through that with them, go through the 40 days. So that's a a new offer. That's so perfect for you. Yeah, that's so perfect. Because that's a different caliber of one-on-ones that you'll get someone because you've got to, they've got to walk the walk too, right? That's, I mean, that's the only way, right? That you can... Yeah. Help yourself. I, I, that's the only way I've been able to kind of go deeper in to myself is through practice. So. For sure. Well, thank you for sharing all your stories and your, your family's stories. I hope they don't mind. (laughs) This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.